Good evening, and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and sound as you tune in to us this week. And this is our first show in February. Did you enjoy the bank holiday? I know I certainly loved having the day off air last week. Um, it was nice to have an extra lie-in. I hope you got one too. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about shopping seasonally when it comes to our fruit and veg, because it's not always as obvious as it may sound or as easy as it may sound. And we're also touching on travel. We're at the time of the year when I know the evenings are getting longer, but they, they are still a bit dark and a bit grey. And a lot of us, and I'll be hold my hands up here, myself included, are looking to go further afield to get a bit of heat and sun and um, relaxation this year. So we're going to be joined by Owen Corey a little bit later on to discuss that. How do we be environmentally friendly, but not isolate ourselves entirely? How do we balance all of this out? But first things first, we're joined by our friend Raymond Higgins. Ray, you're welcome back to the show. Hello, Ashley. Hello, everybody. Thank you for and me. Ray is, of course, from the National Vegetable Society. Now, Ray, when you and I last spoke in January, we were talking about, you know, the, the, the work that we can do in the garden to get ready for growing our own in the winter months when it feels like we'd rather not be in the garden. You know, for most of us or those of us that are fair weather gather, gardeners, perhaps. But, Ray, I wanted to kind of change it up a little bit this evening. And like I said there in the intro, you know, we all know that it's really important that we eat fruit and vegetables, that we get, depending on which experts we listen to, that we get our five a day or our seven a day, or depending on some countries, it's nine a day. I get confused. Um, but that we at least have a colourful diet full of natural produce. But then you go into any supermarket and it's not there's no shame or shade in any of the supermarkets. But you go into any shop in February and you will get strawberries. And you will get things that you know in your heart and soul probably shouldn't be on the shelves at this time of year. And it can be very confusing as to, well, if I want to be good here, I want to support the environment. But I also want to eat healthily. How, where do we start in figuring out when we look at the shelves in shops, what's actually in season and what's maybe being prolonged artificially? Um I know it's a it's it's a big question and it it's you know it's it depends very much on how your particular local shop is laid out and all of that. But where would you start, Ray? Okay, well that's a it's a good question. Um, I suppose when when I think about what's in season, I think about what what is currently growing in the garden um, mm -hmm. and therefore what is growing in the the farmers' fields that are producing uh, produce for the Irish supermarkets and. Um, as you go through the year, you get different crops that come in and out. Now, a lot of the time, um, when you when you go to the supermarket, they'll they'll tell you what is the origin of the the fruit and vegetable. So that's a good thing to check because if you see uh, something from Spain, you know that it's not in season. It's coming in kind of in mass from Spain or a hotter country. I'm not saying Spain, but um, it's the Irish produce that you will see. And, and right now in February, you're looking at a lot of root vegetables. Um, and that would be the traditional kind of um, meals that we would have in Ireland through the years between the, you know, the stews and the, the casseroles and the soups, which is your, your beetroot, your carrots, your parsnips, your potatoes, your leeks. They're all the things that you would be in the Irish garden right now. So that's what you should be looking for as Irish produce in the supermarket. Um, it's your winter type vegetables. So that's um, a good point. Look at when you're buying 
uh, your veg. Okay. If you're not, now look, I know ideally we'd all grow our own. Okay. But we don't live in an ideal world. And um, we don't always even get to plan the shop, even though we know budget wise and diet wise, it is better for us all around to actually go shopping once a week and plan it all out. So if we're popping in, maybe to pick up something for lunch for tomorrow or or even even to do the big shop, look at the packaging and look at the country of origin. That's the first port of call. I think so. And then I think also you'll realise that there's a cost. Um, there's a cost to having veg and fruit that are out of season. And if you want them in your diet, you're going to have to pay for them. Uh, when you when you buy strawberries in the summer, they're a lot more flavorful because they're local and they're you know responding to the climate where they're being grown but they're also cheaper and you can get a lot more for your for your for your money um so that's something that i always kind of look at when i'm when i'm shopping is you know what what is the origin and what is the cost and they're the two kind of key things that will dictate if it's in season from from a kind of a lay person um, when you talked about, sorry, if I just go back, Ashley, you talked about five a day, and you know it is it is seven a day now, and you know that's that's kind of a new thing for people that are still struggling with the five. But mm. um, it's uh, it's very important to kind of think about how you get that into your diet. And um, the Irish Food Board, Board BIA, they do a best in season guide, um, and it's really helpful on their website, and it goes through kind of guidance on what fruit and vegetables are in season each year uh, or each part of the month and then also what are coming in so it also helps people trying to maybe plan meals for a family or plan their diet around that it's like okay well I know that I have you know in March going to have the last of the kind of potatoes that are going to be you know harvested and and you know, there is what we call in the gardening term a hungry gap between March and June, which is the time of year between the garden has finished you know the produce from last year and it's beginning the new season stuff is beginning to come in so it's always awkward to try and find fresh season vegetables mm. in that period um so um, you're kind of using all your storage um veg that you either you're going frozen you're going um kind of aspects of maybe the last of the root vegetables that are in storage so it's it is a it is a period of of challenge to find seasonal veg and fruit uh, from ireland in March to kind of May time and um, so you know that's one thing to watch but once May June happens then you are full of beautiful fresh uh, vegetables and fruit coming through from the Irish market and the Irish growers. Now Ray you mentioned frozen there and yeah. I have to be entirely honest when it comes to frozen veg I kind of get a little bit awkward around it Um, in that I know there's some people who eat frozen veg all the time and don't bat an eyelid at it and I'm a bit of a picky eater mm. and and sometimes I feel like frozen veg no matter what way I try to cook them I just I don't have the knack and when it comes to peas and the simple things you boil up the peas and they're grand a couple of seconds and they're nearly done um but the stir fry bags of frozen veg and all that I find just turn into mush for me but before we go into maybe getting some tips yeah. is frozen veg is it still as nutritious as a carrot pulled straight from the field like is and I know what marketing companies will tell us and all of that um but from a from a grower's perspective what's your take on it look at I I freeze a lot of my vegetables because I want to make sure that I can get the most out of my garden so I I don't um you know if you want to have season vegetables um in you know winter um and they don't want to be 
you know, paying for them to come in from far reaches part of the world or the extra, you know, important charges and stuff like that. Buy it when it's in season, buy it in the summer, you know, it's fresh, you know, it's local, you know, it's coming in um, and you, you you prepare it and you store it appropriately. And freezing is trapping the, the, the goodness of the vegetable or fruit in the best time it can. The longer you leave a vegetable out or, or not looked after, it's going to lose the qualities. Now, so what, what we do, what I do a lot of the time is I will blanch, I will prepare the vegetable, say, for example, it's broccoli, I will, I will prepare it and I'll blanch it for um, a couple of minutes in, in, in boiling water. And then that's basically going to uh, long, keep the longevity of that in the freezer. If I was to freeze it straight away, it only lasts about three to six months, but this I'm going to get a good nine months out of that vegetable and it's going to keep the color off it and the freshness off it because you're shocking the vegetable just before you blanch it so freeze i'm all about freezing i'm all about so when preparing. you say blanch it now you're 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 dipping it in the boiling water for how long for about two two three minutes it, yeah, basically okay. it's just giving it a shock um and then you'd make, dry it off and then you put it in a freezer bag and it just seals the goodness and the freshness into the vegetables so you know that's that's preparing your own freezer vegetables mm-hmm. and that's either stuff you've grown or, or fresh vegetables you bought in a market or whatever through the season so that you have it through the year but you can buy frozen you know veg and it's quite reasonable other people do it and that comes down to different types of you know the way the, the crops are produced by the companies and the taste of them and the way that they they come out but um I, i'm not an expert now in in cooking in any way shape or form my, my meals are quite basic but i do try to get the most out of the, the veg that, that I that I grow um, and that I kind of buy. And, and I kind of, I suppose, I never thought that, and this, it sounds blatantly obvious now that you say it, about freezing your own. Like, I love, I grow rhubarb. I've done it for the past couple of years. And now I, 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 there's a, someone in the house who usually gets the job of it, not myself, I'll be honest. But we do love, like, cutting it all back cleaning it off peeling it chopping it up and what we'll do is we, we portion it out into ziploc bags and what we, we make in my house that i absolutely love is rhubarb jelly yeah. and it's a great it's a it's a lovely dessert it could not be easier to make but it's also really it's it's very high in fiber then because of the rhubarb so it's also if you use sugar-free jelly it's fairly healthy um and like you know it, things like that that when if you are growing yourself think about, okay, how do I get longer out of this? If I have far too many carrots right now to eat and they're all going to go off on you, well, actually, could you separate them out and say, right, this section here, this bunch here, I'm going to clean them up. I'm going to blanch them, maybe chop them up, blanch them uh, and package them away then in the freezer. And of course, as I always say in the show, label them when you put them in the freezer so you know what they are so you don't get disappointed. Um, yeah, absolutely, like it's, Ashley. It's the right. It's the right way yeah. to think about it, and it's gonna. Okay, it's it's gonna be time consuming, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's a lot of time. People need time to prepare these things. But if you were to make the effort when the vegetables and fruit are in season, when when all the abundance of fruit and veg are on the offer, if it's a local farmers market or if it's your supermarket or whatever, and you're getting this fresh produce that's going to keep in your freezer for to do you through the year. You're going to a save money because you're buying it at a good price. You know the goodness of where it's come from, you know locally, and you're able to kind of keep your diet going through the year. Whereas now you're struggling, and you will struggle in this period to find exciting veg if you don't, you know, 
because they're they aren't available. The the, mm. the Irish climate isn't able to go veg like that. So you're really down to you know what where the tomatoes are coming from. You know whether it's Africa or, or or lower parts of Europe or even some stuff is coming over from South America. It depends on where they can be grown and and that's the climate. They're coming into a different climate now, so they're able to keep producing. So. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It is interesting way of looking at it. Um, but I do. I do probably encourage people to to maybe try and just be a little bit more smart about you know when they're shopping and maybe thinking about okay, this is I love I love fresh peas in the summer. Well, why can't I have fresh peas in the middle of the winter? Because I I'm going to buy excess and blanch them and put them in my freezer. So you know if you get that fresh produce, you it's very hard to to go back to processed peas are processed you know frozen veg as well so just 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 a few examples from from my perspective my experience and like it's not that there's anything wrong with the vegetables like obviously we're going to say on the show buy irish buy local always um it's not that we're saying there's anything wrong with the oranges from spain or the avocados from israel but we have we do have to think about we do have to think more uh, climate friendly and be conscious of the fact that this avocado has had to go through a factory. It has to go on on the roads. It's got all of those thousands of air miles and all of that fuel being used up. And, you know, do we really need it all year round? Do we really need the strawberries, the, the, the typical one? Do we really need to be able to make a Victoria sponge in January? Or yeah. can we have it as a treat in June when it's local and it's fresh? And I would argue tastes better. Now, and I'm not perfect in this, Um. But perhaps we do need to be more mindful of it. So then, Ray, on the um, and I know you said you're no expert, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, on the purchasing of frozen vegetables, um, like I think you know peas are fairly handy. You stick them in a in a pot. Um, nearly the ice that comes with it would nearly cook them. You know, never mind adding a bit of water to boil them. But things like I I fell a cropper. I bought a bag of spinach, frozen spinach, thinking, do you know what? I never finish a bag of spinach. I'm always binning it. Maybe I'll buy frozen and just cook what I need. And then when I opened the bag, realized that they were solid rolls of spinach. Like I, I did it both ways. I let it defrost and it turned into mush. I tried to kind of cook it from frozen. That didn't work either. Are there any tricks with cooking vegetables from frozen that you can offer? I don't think I can. I think it's quite <laughs> trial and error, to be honest with you, Ashling. Like, you know, as I said, you might need to get a, a chef in here that has, does this on a daily basis. But uh, for me, it's it's really, you know, I would say if I was doing it myself, I'd keep the bag small and treat the portion sizes because I know my freezer would, you know, I like to do that and proportion things. So I know what I need. But, um, you know, when you're buying big blocks of things like that, it, it is hard to, to break them off without banging them <laughs> all around the place and taking big chunks of it away. Uh, so I don't think I can answer that any better than maybe just keep trying, keep going. Yeah, trial and error. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with trial and error as long as we're not wasting too much food or throwing too much money into the bin. And like like on being um environmentally friendly and being conscious, like we should, of course, remember that um, the markets that we have right across the Midlands every week. And I don't know, depending what town you live in, it might be a Thursday, it might be a Saturday. Like they do, they're full of local producers and any market stall, particularly for vegetables, if you go up to them, 
they'll be able to tell you where the carrots are grown, when they were uh, when they were taken out of the ground, you know, when they might have such and such in stock. Like it is worth raising it, having that conversation with even your local vegetable shop, but the, the local stallholders at these markets. Absolutely. They'd, they'd be delighted to, to tell you all that information and they'll tell you what's good right now. And, you know, they'll tell you this is this is the just harvested this it's just fresh you know so they'll be storing some vegetables you know they'll have they'll have harvested some of their veg and have stored it through the winter and cool dry you know sheds and stuff like that and it's still perfectly fine that's what we call storage veg you know like your your root potatoes and root carrots and parsnips and stuff like that but they'll you'll see the freshness in some of the veg anything that's leafy like lettuce or kale or anything like that will be you'll see that freshness you'll know that it has been even harvested either that morning or the day before and, and that that is the best condition you can buy your veg in is something that's just actually been cut from the, the ground and cut from the plant because imagine we talked about earlier these vegetables and fruit coming in they have been you know cut and and you know prepared a long time by the time they they get to the supermarket and then you've been on display for x amount of time as well by the time it goes into your supermarket and then into your vegetable rack to be used in your cooking so they'll go off a lot quicker as well so you know you do have to understand all that as well in some ways so uh, but yeah, talk to the people. Um, they're that's they're there. They want to they want to help. They want to sell. And they want to try and keep keep their livelihood. And they'll be delighted to have you coming up and supporting them as well. So, and I think it's an opportunity to remind us all that we really should be using our voice when it comes to our shopping habits and and going into our local supermarkets and, and shops and and even vegetable shops and asking, well, do you have any locally grown vegetable? You know, yeah. what what's what what locally is here? What's what's Irish grown even in the larger shops, you know, and and it, it is it is slowly changing. You can see it that certain supermarkets do have um they've siphoned off sections of Irish vegetables or Irish fruit. And that's great. But we need to see more of that um across all of the retailers. And, and that will only happen by people looking for it when they go and they speak to the local store managers. Ray, I know yeah. we're still. Well, if you go by the Celtic calendar, we're in spring. The meteorological one, we're we're, we're um are, we're still in winter. Um, are we? Are you eager to get back planting, or is that a bit way a bit way off just yet? I'm I'm very getting very um itchy to get going at this stage, Ashley. Now I've I've got all my trays lined up. Um, I've got my seed compost. I've got my seeds. Um, it is. It is very close. I'd say I'm going to just wait another another. I'm expecting that this lovely dry spell that we have is 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 excellent. It's getting me excited, but I think I need to hold a little bit longer. Um, around Patrick's Day, I'll I'll be hitting the ground running. So I'll be saying sowing some early potatoes and I'll be sowing seeds. Um, I'm starting off some some early tomatoes now just to get them on the windowsill, just to kind of have the plants ready. So I might get an early crop of cherry tomatoes and in the end of June, July, which would be nice. But um, yeah, so it's it's a good time to to get going and think about veg and fruit and all the goodness that comes with, you know, growing your own or purchasing mm-hmm. local or getting the farmer's market, whatever you're, whatever you're up to and uh, get excited by food again, fresh food, yeah. When I had one cherry tomato plant that survived all year long and I brought it indoors into a particularly sunny spot, I think, oh God, late September and I thought you know I'll just bring it in and see what happens and lo and behold by Christmas day we I got two cherry tomatoes to serve to the two guests 
<laughs> and I ate the shop-bought ones, but it, I did get a kick out of uh, plating them up on uh, Christmas Day. And I was told they tasted very nice. So I, well, I get where you're on, coming from. Onwards and upwards now. You have to... You have to... You've, you've succeeded you just need to keep going <laughs> next year now and get a few more yeah and I, I think I need to remember to water them I think that's mainly my problem Ray unfortunately but Ray Higgins of the National Vegetable Society thanks as always for your tips and tricks I'm sure you'll be back on the show with us once again but uh, thanks for your time this evening no no problem good luck to everyone take care you're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands103.com I hope you're enjoying the show so far this evening just a note to remind you that I'm always looking for ideas for the show and I'm more than delighted to hear from you. So if you would like to get involved with Let's Go Green or suggest an item for the show, please do go on to midlands103.com. Click on the On Air team, click on my name, Ashling O'Rourke, and there you will find a Contact Me Here button, which will allow you to send me a quick note. So please do feel free to drop me a line and give me some ideas or even put yourself forward as a guest on the show. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far this evening. Now, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on this evening, while we are getting longer days and there is, as they say, a grand stretch in the evenings, it is still the darker time of year and a time of year when we do tend as a nation to plan our summer holidays, maybe some trips abroad to get some of that, you know, um, sea breeze, vitamin D from the sky and all of that. Um, but being an island nation, a lot of the options we have when it comes to travel are limited and are heavily reliant on perhaps the not most environmentally friendly travel modes. So to talk more about this dilemma, I'm joined now by Owen Corey, editor of Air and Travel magazine. Owen, you're welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Now, Owen, like this is a dilemma that I think many people who are trying to be more environmentally friendly have. Like we are a nation that loves to travel. We we love going abroad and exploring the world as much as we love exploring our own country. But we then have the problem of, well, if I'm going to do this, how am I going to do this in an environmentally sound way? And it's something that I suppose people can get rather opinionated about it. So, you know, what's your take on it as somebody who works in the industry? It's interesting, actually. I've seen the debate evolve. There was sort of a, from the way, way back, there was quite a good rush of uh, sustainability, you know, bringing um, to travel as a positive in the linking up of the world and in bringing on um, ideas, spreading ideas, which would be uh, environmentally more environmentally sound to the countries where large numbers of tourists go, went. We had a, a very strong uh, sustainable or environmental tourism movement as early as the 1980s. Tended not to impact much here, tended to be more in the Scandinavian countries, predictably, and Germany, places like that. We had, so you know, environmentally friendly resorts, even uh, some of them were hit very badly by the tsunami, uh, the Stevens Day tsunami, which mm. uh, killed a lot of Swedish people because they were in one of those environmental resorts. Sustainability there isn't a single press co- uh, tourism conference or event now where it isn't discussed at length. Okay. And people okay. tend to 
approach it on different levels. There's a little bit of the mercantile stuff, the carbon offsetting, the uh, you know, the the inspection standards, vetting, so the tour uh, hotels and tour operators and people like that would get sort of a green, um, so a couple of ticks in the box from one of these vetting organisations. Um, I think COVID interrupted the evolution of the debate. I think the whole disconnect, reconnect, uh, diverted people away from saying, okay, I'm going on holidays, I just want to make it less damaging, because obviously the aviation end of it is um, is the, the, the most, uh, it's probably not the most, but is is a seriously damaging uh, environmental concern. But um, we, we also have uh, a European debate, which has come about in the last uh, six, seven years, and I'm seeing a little bit of a divergence here. We had um, the Central European countries, particularly the Netherlands, who are quite aggressively pursuing a uh, policy of um, trying to reduce aviation. Germany, France, France is bringing in rules saying that uh, if they, if you could do your journey by train, yeah, aviation would be banned on those routes. But that Central European debate versus the peripherals, the peripherals are places like Portugal, like Norway, like Ireland, mm. and particularly the Canary Islands. And really, it comes back when you come to that. Do you, if you're going to have tourism, if you're going to have even business connections, you're going to have aviation. And there seems to be a wee bit of a divergence there, Ashling. Owen, I have a friend who is from the Netherlands, but currently living in Stockholm. And when she goes to visit her family in just outside of Amsterdam, when she goes home to the Netherlands, she is now she's made the choice because she wants to be she's in fairness to her. She, she does work hard at being environmentally friendly. Um, but she now has a two day travel, basically, or what feels like to me, at least when she just hops on the train in Stockholm and then switches over trains. It's a lot of trains to get her from Stockholm to Amsterdam, as opposed to going out to the airport in Stockholm, hopping on a flight that I'm guessing is going to be what an hour, maybe 90 minutes long. Um. I'm not sure I'm willing to do that. I'm not sure that I'm willing to spend two days, the guts of two days on a train to do a short journey that I could do on a plane in an hour. And that's me being totally honest. Um, and like, I like, are there any alternatives? Can we do anything else to offset the damage that we're doing when we um when we hop on a plane? And like, you know, the, the irony of this being, when this show goes to air, this is a pre-recorded show. I'm probably breaking rules of radio and uh, letting people know that. But it is a pre-recorded show. And when this show goes to air, um, I hope to be on a beach um, because I'm getting a bit of a winter sun in. And I am taking a flight there and a flight back. Um, But I have to be practical as well. I only have so many days, holidays a year. Like I can't be spending loads of those days on trains crisscrossing the continent. If you were in Germany or, or the Netherlands, it would be a completely different dynamic. Mm. That is Ireland's issue. Um, my mother, when she went to Spain in the 1950s, lovely photograph of her uh, with in the, the with the pigeon with Franco's pigeons all around her in Zaragoza. Uh, she took the boat to Holyhead, the train to London, the train to Paris, the train to uh, Barcelona, and the train up. It was a big, big drama. And when some of the Green, uh, the Green Party, uh, obviously in power, the second time round in power, but first time round, some of the Green ministers were using train travel to get to Brussels. It's it's completely impractical. 
it doesn't really work. But there, there, there are. Um, I'm also. A, you, this is a pre-recorded show. I am also uh, Harlar. I am in Scotland, and I came today by ferry. But uh, I will also be going towards the end of this month to check out the first LNG ferry that sails from Ireland, Ross Lair to Bilbao. It's a Brittany Ferries new aircraft, a new uh, sea craft, the Salamanca. So um, there are options. You could actually do the ferry travel as part of your holidays. Um, Spain is a wonderful uh, country for a separated cycleway with uh, over to uh, something like 1200 kilometers of separated cycleway unlike what we do in ireland we put our german cyclist tourists onto the same road as big tour buses even on the even in the original greenway and mayo uh, at newport it's there are very dangerous stretches along that road the n67 along the cliffs of moher uh, anyone coming in a cycle holidays will find it wholly dangerous so you can actually cycle to your ferry get your ferry to spain and take over those amazing um, cycle separated cycleways that Spain does so well, and we haven't even started to mm. do. There are those sort of options, but they're all sort of covering over the 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 real issue that if you're going to have a connected Ireland, it is going to be through aviation. Mm-hmm. It is going to have to be, and not only is it's 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 an economic issue as well. The long of of our economy is Dublin Airport. Our major uh, tourism is a big employer. It's not a big generator of income. Uh, it's a big employer in Ireland. Uh, but the things that generate the income, which are agri-food um, and uh, pharmaceuticals and software, all of that depends very, very heavily on us being a very seriously connected uh, country, a very seriously connected airport, uh, over 200 destinations in Dublin Airport, Dublin. And if you start paring back on that for whatever reason, if you say start saying, oh, um, we're going to stop growth in Dublin Airport, bits of the economy that we're holding up start falling apart very quickly. And that's the real danger. That's what we've discovered in the past um, when we did things like the, the 1948 um uh, John A. Costello, Fine Gay-led government cancelled our transatlantic flights and a whole lot of other measures which they thought were going to save money and get give people time to, you know, stay at home and say the rosary, no television channel, all of that. They That impacted our, our economy in ways they never even expected. Yeah. So when the environmental debate turns on aviation, and it is turning on ra- aviation, there is attempts by some spokespeople to fly shame and say you're wrong to go flying, all of that. You're wrong to go on holidays. You People who worked, uh, for, you know, hard all the year um, being told that going on holidays is something shameful. When you turn on that, it... It's it's not good for the overall uh, environmental debate, which should be stimulating, which Ireland should be leading. And one of the things that everybody in the environmental side and they're turned when you before you turn on aviation, think of one thing: aviation is a very coherent industry. Not all industries are coherent. I've been at COP twenty six in Glasgow and 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 COP twenty twenty seven in Sharm el Sheikh, and the countries of the world when they sit down to talk environment they all go there they all agree to do things and go their different directions the 200 countries of the world the airlines of the world are pretty much in agreement that they have to be they have to have a target of zero emissions by 2050 and they're going for it 
They're going How? for How separate can they do targets that? for 20, 2030. They're, they have a separate target for 2030. They're new, they've pared back the base um the baseline from which they're uh, they're uh, going to meet those targets or, or attempt to meet those targets um from, and they're doing it as a unit it's very hard to think of any in a, all these comp competing airlines are doing so as a unit they're going to tackle that um emissions issue now whether they succeed and you've asked them how how are they going to do it there's low, there's packages and measures that you know sustainable aviation fuel, all of those, and there's big debate as to how viable and how practical all of these are. But it is a coherent industry that is easy for an environmentalist to sit down around the table, and they don't have to. There aren't any denials, deniers there. There aren't any, um, you know, the way that you have individual politicians, Donald Trump would be the best known example, who sort of say all this environmental stuff is is nonsense. You don't get that in aviation. We have that agreement already and it's in okay. place and you're dealing with a coherent industry. And the two Irish airlines are at the heart of that. Ryanair's emissions are being reduced by 14, but they're putting 20 billion euro into reducing emissions. No government, the, the very, very well publicized campaign to reduce emissions out of agriculture in Ireland is costing 1.5 billion, costing the government that. It's cost Ryanair putting 14 times that in. So that's the level of investment by Irish aviation. Aer Lingus, much the same. Newer aircraft, um, bringing down the number of the emissions. The other thing about their two Irish airlines, particularly Ryanair, is that their aircraft are full. Mm. They're, they're not dealing with, you know, uh, 20, 40% occupancy or even 80% occupancy. They're dealing with aircraft that are absolutely full so that they're maximizing. If the damage is being done, they're maximizing the number of people on each flight. So all of those things that are happening, we're bringing we have some of the newest aircraft in the business. We have some of the most uh, efficient uh, aircraft in the business. Aer Lingus are buying A321LRs. Ryanair buy a lot of Boeing 737, the new Max. Um, and the, the emissions are being reduced. The older aircraft, the big guzzlers, a lot of American airlines still flying those. We're not in that game. The other end of aviation in Ireland, very important, is the leasing end. We have, two, we have uh, more than 40% of the aircraft in the sky are leased out of Ireland. We have two of the big, big, big lessers are Aircap and Avalon. And their investment in uh, aircraft, newer aircraft with lower emissions is astonishing, is, is, is very powerful. And the people behind it, the likes of Gus Kelly and Donald Slattery, they're not waiting, they're not deniers. They're, these are people who are convinced that to move forward, aviation has to take on this huge guilt that it has about emissions. It's a coherent industry. Everything it does isn't going to be right. Uh, it's some things are maybe the targets will, won't be achieved immediately. Willie Walsh, um, another Irish guy, is the director general of IATA, the international the body, the FIFA of international aviation. And he's very coherent on this subject and very committed on this subject as well. They're serious about it. It's very difficult to do that with individual governments because they all will run away in their own way. Um, and other industries have a lot of speaking with one side of the mouth and, you know, doing something else. Aviation is coherent and serious about that. Now, And I think, you know, Owen, listening to you now, people will have some hope 
that because you're you're giving us, you know, that this work is already underway, maybe quietly and in the background, but but that there are serious efforts underway that perhaps other sectors can look to for inspiration. Here's the thing. The sustainable aviation fuel is a really great example of this. Uh, Some governments want to mandate a certain amount of sustainable aviation fuel be bought by airlines. Ryanair has signed sustainable aviation fuel with three suppliers. They're paying three times the rate of the original fossil aviation fuel for this. But here's something remarkable. It is not available. The governments who are trying to tell aviation to use some more sustainable aviation fuel have not put any of the incentives in place to producers and to supply it to the airlines. And oddly enough, America is doing better than Europe in this. Um, in most environmental issues, it's Europe that, uh, that leads the way and America trails behind. Sustainable av- aviation fuel, you can't get it. It's, it's you know, it's less than, uh, less than 0.4% of Ryanair's um, intake at the moment. And Michael O'Leary has said that all the sustainable aviation fuel in the world that's being produced at the moment wouldn't fuel more than um, a, a, a piffling uh, a, a amount of his flights, about three or four percent of his flights. So we need, we, you know, the aviation is saying we're, we're, we're ready to do this. But all the other people, including some of the governments uh, who are very strong, very um, co- uh, loud about lecturing aviation, are not doing their side of this equation to make sure that, for instance, sustainable aviation fuel is available. Owen, can I ask, what is sustainable aviation fluid fuel? It's uh, it's uh, basically your your chip pan that you've enjoyed uh, to your one and one on a Friday night. Uh, the the oil goes back into producing aviation fuel. It isn't uh, you don't have lorries of aviation sustainable aviation fuel going around. It's mixed in with the um uh, with the traditional fuel but it um a certain uh, uh, there's a, there is a, an appetite um for the aviation industry to switch much as much of it, of um its uh, consumption to sustainable aviation fuel even at a higher price and it's three times the price of traditional fuel at the moment because they know that's the way to go there's a big uh, problem debate about if you do it uh, straight from rapeseed, from a vegetable uh, oil, that the amount of land, up to the uptake for the amount of land to produce the quantity of fuel involved uh, makes the whole argument uh, not just uh, unviable, but also can be creating uh, environmental damage uh, that uh, in, a, in an attempt to uh, mi- mitigate it. So... The, it, the whole sustainable aviation uh, fuel debate is uh, complicated, but basically it's using uh, vegetable sources rather than fossil sources. And the whole, and like, as you say, we have to be very mindful that we don't have every farmer across the globe all of a sudden switch over to, co- to, to growing rapeseed to fuel planes when we also need vegetables and uh, meat and, and all of that to be grown as well. Um, and there needs to be a balance um, for biodiversity as well, um, more important. Absolutely, and, and food diet. security, food security, and the old and the old avocado debate. Uh, how much damage is growing uh, a particular crops doing to uh, eco- eco- ecosystems that are in border in, in, in margin areas and border areas? 
And this for for people listening at home, this might sound, you know, all very academic. Well, this is not going to impact on me. But talk to me about what's happening in France. You touched on it earlier on. People may or may not be aware that there are changes coming. And Irish people, we, we do enjoy going to France. In a way, legislators uh, are moving into happening pretty much in way. People love trains. Uh, there's a big advantage of a train is that you get from the city centre to the city centre. You don't go to Charles de Gaulle and go to Lyon Airport and come back into the city. You go from the city, city centre in Paris to Lyon. And when they introduced the TGV, all the air services between Lyon and Paris were effectively killed off. Barcelona to Madrid. There used to be a very, very busy air route there. It's gone. Uh, the reason is a high-speed train was introduced. Spain has been leading the um, any, everywhere except China in introducing high-speed trains, length and breadth of the country. France is legislating to prevent uh, air, any air routes where there is a train alternative. There's a big debate on trains, by the way. Trains don't just grow. They um, environmental damage by caused by railways and caused by pr- the production of and the manufacture and the huge amount of energy that they consume. And this is subsidized energy by governments. It, while aviation energy is paid for by a private company, there's a, it, it, there's a lot of uh, footnotes and uh, riders come attached to mm. your train journey, which sometimes are discounted by environmentalists. But the, the real thing and Ashling uh, uh, people in uh, Midlands the Midlands will need no introduction to the paucity of any rail services and the unreliability of the rail services in Ireland uh, uh, compared with what you come across all of Europe it's pretty natural for people uh, in cross France Spain Germany to get on a train and go to where they're supposed to go and get there on time and not be charged through the nose for it it costs more to travel by train from Dublin to Killarney than it does to fly uh, some days to Cyprus or Istanbul, the other end of Europe. That's the that's what's happening uh, that, with our train, our paucity of train services. Interesting thing, Ashley, that when you uh, book an Air France flight, and I came back, I think it was from Nantes last year, well, from Nantes, I got on the train in Nantes, checked in at the Nantes station, got my put my bag in and I was given two boarding passes. One was from Nantes to Paris and the other was from Paris to Dublin. But the first section of that was on a train. You're given an Air France boarding card on the TGV to get so, to Paris uh, because they regard it as a flight. So are you handing over your baggage in at the train station? At the train station. It's it, it's like you're checking in at the airport. They, the French have this, have over the years introduced this system where whether you travel by train or whether you travel by plane, the central booking system is the same and your uh, the facilities that are offered to you as a passenger are the same. So it's far preferable to get on a train and not have to uh, have to take uh, your belt off and your liquids out uh, and do all of that hanging around with the gate being changed three times. Yeah. Uh, it's far easier to get on a train and then go straight to Charles de Gaulle. You then have to do all that aviation nonsense when you get there. But and they yes, treat, uh, you can do in that in France, France, only a short France trip. France and Germany. France and Germany will both treat a, a train journey like a plane journey. 
it's, and yet it's really we, not... and we can't build a metro from Dublin Airport into Dublin city centre. Um, it, it it baffles me. I'll be entirely honest. Um, and I think we've been talking about a, a metro system I, from Dublin Airport into Dublin city centre for I would I would hazard a guess reasonably for as long as I've been alive. And I'm I nearly hope, I hope nearly forty. I hope you're having. I hope you're planning on having grandchildren, Ashley, because they might actually get to use it. Uh, it's been talked about for a long, long time. It was first said that it would be introduced by about 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be well, well, well into 2030s before we see it. It's not that difficult to link Dublin Airport to the existing Dublin Belfast trade line. But at the moment, the only airport in Ireland connected to a train service is Farron 4. Well, on that note, Owen Corey, editor of Air and Travel magazine, we will have to leave it there. And look, we can all live in hope for Ireland to become more connected between our towns and villages, but perhaps our airlines and our aviation fuel will be more environmentally friendly in a, a shorter space of time than that. Owen, thank you very much for your time today. Always a great pleasure, Ashley Gurmina Margaret. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands103.com. But I'm afraid that's all we have time for on this week's episode of the show. Don't forget, you can get in contact with me directly on midlands103.com. Just look up my name, Ashling O'Rourke, on the website there. And there's a handy link where you can send me a message directly through it. Of course, we are also available on your preferred podcast app. We're on Spotify, Google and indeed Apple Podcasts. So if you can't listen in to Let's Go Green of a Monday night, just tune into your preferred podcast app and you will find us there. I hope you have a great week and we'll be back same time next week with another episode of Let's Go Green.